Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Olinger, as always, joined by Sean Kennedy. And Sean, today we have a guest. It is Mark Schindler, the creator of Premium Hoops and a writer for Indie Cornrows, fantastic podcaster as well, and just great basketball mind in general. Mark, thanks for coming on with us. Uh, Dan, I appreciate you. You too, Sean. I, uh, I'm really psyched to do this. Uh, and I, I enjoy your stuff as well. I have your shake Milton article pulled up on it's, I have, I'm, I'm a kind of person. I don't like having tabs open on my computer. Um, I've seen PD webs, uh, tabs before he has like 85 open. It's terrifying to me. Gives me a lot of, uh, a lot of bad thoughts. So, uh, yours is my one tab that I have pulled up outside my mains right now. So I'm looking forward to reading your piece on shake, but I, uh, it was been really busy the last couple of days and I haven't gotten around to it yet, but, uh, after watching and play against the Lakers last night, I'm, I'm ready to dive into it. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> like I was glad to introduce you, Mark. I'm surprised I didn't open up the pub, just freaking out about that whole Sixers Lakers, <laughs> a wild game. And as we said here at Liberty Ballers many times throughout the season, a game the Sixers always would have lost the past two years. That is a classic Sixers lose the game and we all go home feeling terrible kind of night. But somehow, some way, they pulled it off. Joel Embiid, the starter with an incredible first quarter, helping the Sixers get out to a 16-point lead, kind of dwindled through the, from there until the Sixers built it back up again. And then down one, one possession to go, Tobias Harris – my enemy turned, I mean, not friend, but I love Tobias now. Like I, I will forever, I'm never going to, I'm going to try to never be mad about anything Tobias Harris related ever again, because just an unbelievable game winning shot by him. When Sixers beat the Lakers, I've rambled on for a long time. Sean, your immediate reaction to the Sixers Lakers game last night. Last night was the night that Tobias Harris became not everyone's most hated sixer. <laughs> Wonderful job by Tobias. I, I think that's the moment we're all going to look back on and kind of look at that as the coronation of his redemption season, even though it's kind of early in the year. That's, that's the, the shot and the game that people are going to point to just because such an epic moment to beat the Lakers on a last second shot like that. Uh, defending champs best team in the west heading into last night now and we're going to talk about utah uh passing them in the standings a little later but yeah i mean years past we've all seen that 13-0 run by a sixers opponent and everything collapses and the late game offensive struggles and they look lost and then yeah tobias saved it all um so we would have had two days of sports talk radio about you know, Ben and Joel still can't do it in the clutch. What's going on? Same old Sixers. And instead, we get to talk about them still being the best team in the East. And it's all good vibes here in Philadelphia. You got to love it. That's so who I, is the most hated Sixer then if it's not Tobias now? Oh, I, 
Sean, remember my morale rankings from a few pods ago? <laughs> yeah, it's Danny's. Danny's playing well too. Um, yeah, I think I think Dwight has kind of like it's been a precipitous drop. <laughs> yeah, he he he's his foul per nature has really reared its head, and he hasn't been doing enough productive things. And the game where Joel was out and he was forced to start, and Tony Bradley looked a lot better than him, I, I think that kind of uh, caught some people off guard. So, yeah, I might say Dwight right now, honestly. No, yeah. Like, I think it was that NBA math. They have their, like, total points added metric. Mm-hmm. Dwight was dead last on the six, <laughs> like, like, minus 29. So, and I, I don't know, understand. I'm not smart enough to understand how that all completely works. Maybe some of it scales in the fact that whenever Joel Embiid's on the court, the Sixers basically murder everyone they're playing. So that can't help. But, yeah, like, most hated Sixers. We are having the discussion because we were saying Ben Simmons was falling down, although – and I still think he's not maybe in the top half because people pro- so there's probably still a good section of the fan base that wanted James Harden in the Ben wanted Ben Simmons to be traded for James Harden. But I mean Ben's been playing better this last week. Uh, man, and it's not Matisse anymore. Mike Scott's an interesting one because he isn't contributing, but everyone loves the fact that he almost got in a fight and wearing a white polo <laughs> yeah. on the bench. Yeah. yeah, his not playing has helped his case in this department because he can just be pure mike scott without the negative (laughs) basketball aspects of his game (laughs) yeah sean i i think you have a good call on it's slowly becoming dwight and i honestly say it's probably between dwight and tony bradley right now are probably the two front runners for that distinction but um mark as an as someone who isn't entrenched in the sixers every day as much as we are someone who watched the game today trying to catch up on it what was your big takeaways from this huge matchup between the Sixers and the Lakers. Yeah. So it's uh, it's actually really funny that you mentioned it being uh, looking like a classic Sixers game because I was doing a post game pod uh, covering the, the Pacers game last night. Um, and I, as soon as I saw how close the uh, Sixers Lakers was, I, I, I'll be honest, I probably cut the pod two or three minutes short just so I could um, go catch the end of it in, in real time. Um, and Sixers were able to pull it out after, even though, I mean, some of the last possessions were pretty dreadful uh, offensively, but I thought yesterday and going back and watching it today, as good as Joel was offensively, I don't know what your takeaway was. I'd have to go back even, even more again to try and dive in more, but I didn't think Joel was super impactful defensively. Like, I mean, I thought it was, I mean, Joel's good pretty much no matter what, because of his size, but uh, I mean, offensively, he really took over for stretches, but defensively, I thought he could have maybe been even a little bit better. Um, Danny Green was my other takeaway. I love Danny Green, but Dennis Schroeder made him look like he had cement blocks for feet. Um, and that was the only guy who the Sixers could really trust to put in, in front of Dennis Schroeder. Um, part of that's a hard matchup for him, but overall, that was not great. I remember, too, it, it's kind of funny seeing some of the discourse on Twitter uh, while you're, you're doing work and then you actually catch up on the game the next day. Everyone was raving about Ben Simmons in the first half. And, uh, you know, and going back and watching it, almost every bucket he had came in transition. Um, it was not really doing a lot in the half court. And this is not I'm, – I'm not here to just shit talk Ben Simmons, I promise. I love Ben Simmons. Um, but, yeah, no, it was uh, – I think we saw a lot of really good things, but I also saw some of the uh, – I guess I would say weaknesses. It's hard to say weaknesses for a team that's like 13-5 and five right now. But um, – you got to have something to nitpick, right? But Tobias looked really good, though. Um, I, th- I mean, what, shooting almost 50-40-80 right now? 50-46-80? Like, you uh, you really spurred him on, Dan. Yeah. 
I like I have I I want to apologize to Tobias <laughs> if for some reason somehow he got he saw that stupid piece I wrote about him only dunking with two hands. It got Tobias has been incredible. He is an all-star right now. He is and like this isn't even a knock on Ben Simmons. Tobias Harris has been the sixth or second best player of the season. Mm-hmm. And ben, it's not even just like, yeah, Ben is kind of stagnated, but I I think it's more just like Tobias is playing that well right now. He's has the best true shooting percentage of his career in years after having like a low year last year. I think I found this is that Tobias, like since 2017, except for last year, has basically always been above 80th percentile in uh, mid-range jumpers. Mm-hmm. And this year he's like, I think he's over 90th percentile right now. So just like after just such a down year last year that kind of soured everyone on him, all Sixers fans, people outside of Sixers, like that's just a horrible contract. It's over. He's kind of turned things around and, you know, there's a lot of stuff like, is that just the better fit with Seth Curry and Danny Green being there instead of Josh Richardson, Al Horford? Is it Doc Rivers as the Tobias whisperer telling him, hey, stop drip, you're over dribbling too much. If you just do like one dribble and shooter, just catch and shoot. If you just try and simplify the game, you'll be fine. Is it just Tobias being on a hot shooting streak? And, you know, maybe he's due for regression. Um, I know our colleague Dave Early said he's worried about that too because Tobias has been shooting incredibly well. Before last night, when he missed a few, Joel Embiid was the best mid-range shooter in the NBA with a certain volume qualification. So there's something strange at all to me. Come on, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah. So uh, Sean, what do you think about Tobias Harris? You know, All-Star Tobias Harris. Yeah, he's. You're right. He's clearly been the second best Sixer. He's been really consistent. It's only been maybe one or two games where you would say he had an off night. But even on even on games, the Sixers as a team didn't play well. He he was the guy like, oh, well, Tobias still got his 20 and he, he was fine out there. You can't have anything wrong to say about how he's played so far this season. He's he's been solid defensively on top of everything else. And yeah, the Doc Rivers stop all the dribbling and just make quick decisions and be, be aggressive that you know, everyone brings up anytime they talk about Tobias Harris now, so we don't need to go into that, but it's made a difference. And now you mentioned the added spacing they have that just creates even better looks for Tobias and he's knocking him down. Um, He definitely deserves all-star consideration right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, Mark, I want to get your take on this. Uh, As someone who covers the Pacers for Indy Cornrows, you watch all their games, you, write a lot about them, you tweet a lot about them, all that kinds of stuff. How much do you view the Sixers as a threat in the sense that just you see the Pacers, like they get matched up with the Sixers in a playoff round. What do you think as Pacer fans would be like, that's not good <laughs> for for other reasons besides just the fact that Joel Embiid fouls Miles Turner out of every Yeah, season. I was waiting for that to be brought up. It always um, happens. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. So actually, I think I would look at it more as are the Pacers threats to the Sixers? Um, that's how I came in this year. I try and look at it more as just, you know, being an observational person instead of being a fan. You know, like I uh, I think the Pacers are good, um, but they're obviously, I mean, they're down care. So fortunately, his procedure worked out yesterday and he's uh, cancer free, which was great to hear. Uh, that was scary as hell, man. Um, uh, and TJ Warren is still out for, as far as I know, it's going to be a while, uh, which is very vague. Um, but they, the Pacers training staff is pretty vague in general. Sixers um, want TJ Warren out as long as possible. <laughs> I am aware. Or he kills 
absolutely kills the Sixers because Ben always has to play on the best perimeter threat. And while TJ is great, Tobias Harris always ends up being his matchup. And believe it or not, he can guard Tobias Harris, but Tobias Harris cannot guard him. So uh, it's all that's been my favorite matchup to watch over the last year. But no, I think this this is actually really huge. It's something I was thinking at least uh, podcasting about if I don't have time to write on it. But this next stretch of games over the next week, including the game against Philly on Saturday, is huge for Miles Turner. Um, He's been really vocal about how he wants to be defensive player of the year this year. And so far, Throughout the year, I mean, I think he's clearly deserved it. Um, I mean, he's averaging like five and a half stocks per game. And it's not just Hassan Whiteside, you know, chasing stuff. Um, <laughs> like he's been legitimately impactful um, and just in a transcendent force on the defensive end. Um, but like you mentioned, I mean, he's been absolutely sunned by Joel Embiid every single time they've played. Um, even in the uh, bubble matchup when TJ Warren scored 53 points, Miles Turner had three fouls in the first minute and a half and I think he only played like 17 minutes that game. Um, so, I mean, I think part of it's going to be looking at how, uh, you know, how the coaching staff puts him in a good place because um, it's tough because to me, if, if you put Miles Turner back in the 90s, he's probably a four instead of a five because he's just kind of that tweener um, kind of uh, size from, from bigs back then. Um, he really doesn't have the strength in his lower body to, I mean, nobody has the strength in their lower body to guard Joel Embiid. Let's just be honest. I mean, we saw, it's crazy seeing Joel Embiid stand next to Anthony Davis and you're like, wow, Anthony Davis is noticeably like smaller than him, like by quite a bit. You have no idea how much pride Sixers fans take in the fact that Joel Embiid for the majority of his career has just owned Anthony Davis. Oh, I bet. And he did it last (laughs) night too. Also, that was another thing I didn't even mention, like Joel Embiid's, uh, face up game. Ridiculous. Um, that was not there as, as well as it is now. I mean, his handle is so much better. Um, his just kind of control in the post feels a lot better. Obviously, a lot's been made about his passing. Um, but I was just really impressed with his ability to face up. Not everything was dropping, but, I mean, he made Anthony Davis look like he was a, just an average NBA player yesterday. So, But ultimately, I would say uh, I, I think the Pacers are a notch below the Sixers right now just because Joel Embiid is so good, man. Like, and they really have no way to to defend him, especially considering that they are not a good rebounding team. That does not bode well against Joel Embiid. Yeah, I was going to say, Miles Turner, if he wants to get on that defensive player of the year path, I don't know if not being able to defend Joel Embiid like Anthony Davis is the the right formula for for, for getting those uh, accolades later in the year. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting you talk about Turner and the, and the jump he's made this season what specifically has he improved about his game to kind of make this leap this year because I, I know last year there were a lot of trade discussions around him because there's always the Ken Sabonis and Turner work together and yeah. Sabonis making the all-star team it seemed like he became oh he's the guy and he's going to keep like and Turner has to go but now they're both playing well both playing well together what exactly did Turner improve upon and, and what changed about his, his play that has uh, changed that discussion around him? Yeah. Well, um, just speaking defensively, I mean, he's in a better spot this year and that's part of what I look at with the Sixers. Like I've always thought um, not to make myself sound like I'm smarter than everyone. It just seems like, I mean, you can tell from watching, it makes more sense for Demonis Sabonis to guard Joel Embiid because Joel's going to go off no matter what. So why not put the, the strongest center you have on him and say, okay, you know what, we'll see what happens. Um, 
putting Miles Turner on an island against Joel Embiid just has never made any sense to me. And I obviously part of his mental too with him, but I think that's what's different this year has been his mentality and, and uh, where he's at. And I think part of that, a lot of it got put on Nate McMillan, especially by people outside the Pacers organization. Um, Nate McMillan never told him don't shoot from three. I, I think it was you. I could put together a highlight reel or it wouldn't be a highlight reel, but I could put together a reel of last year, all the times that miles would record scratch, check out of threes. Um, his processing speed was just really slow. He always felt like he was a half step behind everyone, especially well, not, obviously not defensively, but offensively, he's always felt like that. But this year, that's, that's the real difference. I wrote a piece about that last week um, on how, you know, he's really caught up to the speed of the game. And while it's still not perfect, um, I mean, he's at least, he's all honestly like a slightly above average offensive player at sometimes, which is, I mean, miles ahead of where he was last year and any of the years prior. I mean, he's doing stuff off the dribble. Now that did not used to be a thing. Um, he's not checking out of shots as often, nearly as often. I mean, he still is sometimes, but um, I think, you know, you're always going to have players who do that. Um, and he's just confident. Um, he always felt like he was caught between two roles. Like even in the bubble last year, I think he put up 20 and eight for the playoffs, which obviously on paper, good. And the, I mean, the shooting splits were good, but you, you watched him play and it felt like he was trying to emulate what Demonis Sabonis did. And I think part of that is, uh, was on the coaching staff and part of that was on him too. He just felt like, okay, I have to do what Domas does to make the offense work the best. And he's not good at dribble handoffs. Like I, he should never do dribble handoffs or not never, but like not very often. And he was running them like 20, 30 times a game. And it was, you know, it was not good. Um, and now he just feels like he knows what he's supposed to be doing on the court. He's not checking himself out of doing things. If he has an opportunity, he takes it um, instead of always trying to pass out for a better shot. So I think that's, what's really been different for him this year is uh, his feel on the court uh, offensively is just uh it's there now, you know, there didn't really used to be a lot there. You cannot complain about dribble handoff proficiency until you have seen Danny Green and Dwight Howard run it. That does sound pretty it. atrocious, man. <laughs> like I don't have numbers. My guess is zero points per possession, but you know, maybe they, they found a bucket one of those times. Um, no, but what you were saying there about Miles Turner, like always been a really good defender and kind of like offensively. Now he's adding a lot to, on that end too. Kind of reminded me, like scaling that towards Joel Embiid, directing it back to him because this is a Sixers podcast. Yep. But um, he uh, like Joel's always been an incredible defender who just Zach Lowe probably described it best, saying whenever he's on the court, other teams take garbage shots. It's always mid-range players because they can chase over the top, and Joel's good about playing that space, and he just forces teams into bad shots because he's huge. Mm -hmm. Well, offensively, he's always been good, but it's never been like great. He's Good, real, of course, like the best post-up player in the league, but just post-ups are inherently a little more inefficient than other offensive actions. So how good is that really? Now he's still that good on defense and offensively, like you talked about his face-up game, that was always a weapon. Now it's like a full-blown machete and he is just <laughs> yes. down left and right with that game because he's not missing that much anymore. Um, you know, guys will like always flop to get – like whenever they get a bigger guy on them in the post, they have to defend, they'll flop to try and get offensive fouls the other way. Joel kind of like reverse engineers that and that he doesn't really just bang against you because he knows that's going to happen. He's smart in that like, there's no reason for me to do that. So he really takes his time slowly working his way in there. So there's not a lot of aggressive, like 
bang bang contact that was very visible and then also if anyone ever reaches in he's going to get that foul yep he's like well i'll just get the foul then instead of you because you're so worried about how big i am that you're and i'm not going into yet you're waiting around like what's happening what's happening what's happening they all get handsy about it and then joel smart he's willing to take those fouls willing to just he's willing to sell out when he needs to and then he get gets those fouls and now he's the mvp front runner it seems like uh as long as he keeps this up. Um, of course, as we noted earlier, the Sixers lines without Joel Embiid, it's it's not good. There's the defense gets a little worse and the offense just becomes like really bad. It, it's, it's a, it is true. You see Danny Green, Dwight Howard dribble handoffs sometimes. But um, like Sean, what do you think the Sixers can try and do? Because we're picking nits here, obviously. This has been such an incredible start to the season. What can they kind of do to kind of just like hold water, not have a well, I'm going to bring it up again. Not have a Greg Monroe game seven situation every time Embiid leaves the floor. Yeah, it's it's hard because the entire roster is constructed to maximize Joel's effectiveness. So if you're going to bring in guys that their primary function offensively is to cut and space the floor and hit catch and shoot threes from a Joel post up, then if Joel's not there sucking up all that gravity, then they're not going to work as well. Um, I, I think it has to be like Shake and Tyrese. It has to be one of those two. More more likely Shake because asking Tyrese as a as a rookie to take on two prominent roles is probably a little too much. But I, I think Shake has to be the okay. You're running the second unit. Joel's on the bench. We've now shifted from a post centric offense to running high pick and rolls every time down and it's going to have to be shake creating shots and so far you know more often than not he's been doing a good job with that um now if there's games where joel sits they just don't have enough options for 48 minutes they just lose yeah they don't have oh and four oh and four (laughs) yeah so they don't have the options for effective offenses for those long extended stretches because everything just is center around Joel. So you, you lose that. You lose not only one of the best players in the league, but the entire offensive ecosystem you build everything around. Um, can they do it in a playoff environment when he needs to sit 12 minutes a game? Uh, yeah, I think they can absolutely do that. I think they can cobble together enough offense between Tobias and, you know, either Shaker or Maxi stepping up and being a able to create their own shot. Uh, yeah, I think they can do that. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it. I think everything just hinges on the starter staying healthy and I think they'll be fine. So I do have to mention really quick. This is uh, just because I have stat head. I spend like the eight bucks a month to have it just so I, for moments like these, right. Um, in 10 games, which you'd think that they'd have played 10, more than 10 games, but I guess you, you factor in how often I, I think Joel missed two of the games against uh, Indy last year, if I remember correctly, which were of course the two games that Indy won. Um, so against miles Turner, Joel Embiid averages 28 and a half points, almost 13 rebounds and four assists on 51% from the field. And he gets 10 free throws a game and miles averages eight points, five rebounds, and five personal fouls. So that is, uh, yeah. I remember when we had Tony East on the pod way back, like I can't remember how long it was ago of how messed up the timeline is over the past mm-hmm. year. But um, I think, what was it? 
like Miles fouled out. He's fouled out in six of those 10 games against Joel, if I remember correctly. And he got like at least three or four fouls in every single game, usually four or five. Basically, like, like you said, just he's going to foul out against Joel. Probably again, the same thing that like he's a very, Miles is a very, um, He's very just like he needs to use his hands a lot on defense because that's yeah. kind of his advantage. He is like you've tweeted about he has great hand-eye coordination, mm-hmm. like knowing when to put his hands out at the right time to get blocks, to get deflections, to bother guys. Well, Joel sees that and he sees, oh, his hands out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna right swing there. my hands up. Get, I get love Joel. I love Joel. I won't slander Joel. I hate that that rule exists and that you can. It, Chris Paul ruined the NBA by doing that. No, he didn't actually ruin the NBA, but. It's one of the things I talked about in a rule changes pod. Like that's one thing I would love to see go away. So I'm never going to fault the players for it, but man, miles is always caught reaching on that. And I'm just hopeful to be different this time because it is hard to watch, man. Yeah. It's, it's definitely uh it, well, it's fun to watch on our end, but well, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about is Sean, you mentioned there how like, I thought that was really interesting. You mentioned just the whole team being constructed around Joel these, a lot of these, kind of like one decision making kind of players where it's just you're either shooting or passing the next guy because you don't really need you don't need too much of an interior attacker if you have Joel Embiid or he is your offensive fulcrum I mean it's just better to have four guys around him who don't mess it up for him which I mean the the comp for Joel that everyone's had like the highest upside comp forever has been Hakeem Olajuwon for a multitude of reasons but that is kind of something similar is that I, I believe Ben Taylor's talked about it in one of his latest greatest peaks videos, which if you're, if you're not watching that, I don't know what you're doing. Go ahead and watch all <laughs> those. But um, Hakeem, like he's talking about how Hakeem is incredible and that he can raise the floor of a team a lot just by the fact that he derives good offense and he does not need great offensive players around him to still put together a good offense. But then you talk about scalability, how, it's kind of hard to then have another great offensive creator around him because it's just going to kind of like clash with what he's doing. And that kind of feels like there's a little bit of that Joel Embiid where it's like, yeah, Joel's really better if you just put the Danny Green, Seth Curry types around him. Cause it's like, they have one job and they know what to, they're not going to, they and themselves are not going to question what that job is. They know it's I'm shooting threes when a guy comes too far off of me because he's looking at Joel and then Joel's going to get it back out to them. I, I think you guys get what I'm, saying here just like what do you think about that kind of concept and can you win in the modern NBA with a guy like that who just it's hard to put other great offensive creators around him at all times I don't want to say that Joel couldn't function with those players I think Mm -hmm. he would excel if given the opportunity to play with somebody like that like if, if Harden had come to Philly and they were working a two-man game at, at the, the high pick and roll, I, I think that would have been deadly. Like we saw with J.J. Redick back when he was a sixer, they had their dribble handoff two-man action. And, you know, Redick isn't an outstanding playmaker, but just because of – he has a little bit of off-the-dribble ability. So just his shooting threat and, and what that would do to warp the defense, that was – we saw how deadly that was, that partnership. So in, in the limited time – we've seen Joel be able to do that. I think it was just more so that getting the Danny greens, the world is just so much easier. Like that's a pretty accessible path for you to improve your roster around Joel. Whereas getting like an elite playmaker, that's a really hard thing. And you probably have to 
give up a good chunk of your assets to do that. So this was kind of just the path of least resistance to build a functional offense around Joel, like, like a more realistic scenario than, hey, we're going to get some elite playmaker and that's the way we're going to do it. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's a it's a knock on Joel like, hey, you can't function with another primary playmaker. I just think this was the way they were able to construct it in a short period of time. And that's just the reality of the situation right now. No, I, I definitely think you like I'm not saying Joel like I wanted them to trade for James Harden. I thought it would have made them better. And I get what you're saying. Totally. I, I and I th- so I think it has to be like a primary playmaker, but also definitely need shooting gravity so you don't mess up spacing and then it probably also helps with James Harden's an incredible passer and then interior attacker too I mean he's incredible at everything on offense basically so I mean that's that's probably just the thing like James, James Harden, Harden would have helped the Sixers offense James Harden's similar, <laughs> similar to Joel Embiid if you can put four guys who can shoot around James Harden you're not going to mess a lot of things up on offense so that's definitely part of it uh it's, I don't know, like, any other last Sixers thoughts before we move on to the league in general from either of you guys? Yeah, I mean, like, just to kind of hit on that, too. I mean, there's a reason why you could argue that while it wasn't as talented as, you know, the team that had Jimmy and Tobias um, along with Joel and Ben, um, I mean, the team that had Dario Saric and Robert Covington went the farthest they went in the playoffs because – exactly. I mean, you have to – at some point, it's a really interesting conundrum um, – And part of the reason why I'm really fascinated with Brooklyn is because it's just very difficult to put high usage players together and have an effective offense or to have a non clunky offense that works in crunch time. Um, Like as much as I like Tobias Harris, I mean, I think you could even argue like, I mean, he's been awesome this year, but I mean, we saw last year, like him and and Josh Richardson, just, they, they have to be able to do stuff off the dribble. um, and, And they weren't able to last year. I mean, they were, in really tough spots that didn't make a lot of sense for them. And that was one of the things I was frustrated with on the outside looking in, like some of the heat that Josh Richardson got. I mean, you look at what he was doing in Miami as kind of a quasi uh, primary ball handler on a team that was devoid of one. Um, and that worked out better for him because there was just a lot more uh, the, the offense wasn't necessarily, like it was built with him in it, but it wasn't necessarily um, completely dependent on him. He just started a lot of things. Um, so I think, yeah, I agree. You know, having those uh, superstar level role players is almost more important than having other stars around you. And, and yeah, we've definitely we've definitely seen that this year. We definitely have. Um, <laughs> anyways, we while we're like kind of nitpicking some of the Sixers, like, I mean, this is what you do when you have a really good team. You start nitpicking some of these smaller flaws, potential flaws that could come up if in a playoff run, which, hey, I mean, Last year, there was no playoff run to speak of for the Sixers. So for any fans listening, like this is a good problem to have that we're wondering how high can the Sixers go with some some things they still need to fix. Obviously been great so far. The Lakers win the peak of the season, makes the Sixers the top team in the Eastern Conference. However, they are not the top te- team of the NBA with the top record. That belongs to the 14-4 and four Utah Jazz, who I think – have they won nine in a row, I want to say? I think they won ten, ten in a row after last row. night. Jeez. Yeah. Like, they are just – I watched their game against the Knicks. So, I mean, given it's the Knicks who, who, are, who are solid this year. We'll just say solid team, not super talented, but solid. They just, like, in the second half, they can pick teams apart with how fast they swing the ball around. I, 
I Royce O'Neal is one of my favorite players Me in the too. NBA. I love him so much. Defensively, he is like he had a game against the Pelicans where he shut Brandon Ingram down, and for as much as you can probably shut down a really good offensive player like that, really frustrated him. And he's making like every open three he has, and then the rest of the Jazz like similar. It's basically everyone who isn't Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors is making threes, and then those two are doing their thing, keeping the defense up, not being like finding ways to contribute on offense, whether it's with vertical spacing, screening, smart, quick passes. Like, I don't know how many, how much either of you guys have seen the jazz, but like, is this team a title contender? I've seen a lot of the jazz. Um, they're one of my, I mean, they're, I, I think I have probably four or five teams that I watch the most. So it would definitely be obviously Indy. I'd never miss a game. because It's my job not to. Um, I really enjoy watching Houston play uh, without James Harden. I always liked James Harden. I, I liked watching that team play. But Jay Sean Tate and David Noir are just incredible. I, knew you were gonna, I, told I, you. I can't not I bring it up. The, I know. What did I say in the tweet? You said it on Twitter. I had to bring it up. I had to bring it up. Um, but, no, Utah's right up there for me, too, with, with Denver. And, um, you know, the Clippers have been really fun this year. I mean, I just watch everybody play. But Utah yeah. is like – I never miss Utah. Like, you're talking with, with that Knicks game, like – uh, their ball movement is just absurd. Like I will, I started calling them the beautiful game jazz and I don't care that it's disparaging and unfair to the Spurs. I'm going to call them the beautiful game jazz. Cause that's how they play. I mean, it's a, uh, it's obviously a very different brand of basketball. They don't have, um, they don't have Kawhi Leonard. They don't have Tim Duncan, but um, I, I think I would say, I, I'm not going to just say, you know, that you will wait to the playoffs to find out. I think that they're a contender to, um, I don't know how real they are as uh, as title contenders, but I also don't buy into the, you know, I, I'm not going to go full shack and say that they don't have what it takes, um, even though I've only seen one of their games on national television when I was scheduled to work. But, um, you know, I'll get off my high horse on that one. I think that they're definitely good enough to make the conference finals, though. They have so much depth. Uh, Derek Favors solved, like, their biggest problem they had, which was Tony Bradley was their biggest yeah, problem I knew last you were gonna, year. I knew you were going to drop the – as you sent to me in the one message, the Tony Bradley effect, but um, it's not, he's actually decent. I didn't love what, how they, uh, how they moved on from him and then picked Udoka as a bookie with a first round pick. I well, thought Udoka that was, was a wasted pick. Cause he's just literally, and he's good at what he does, but his only thing he does is he could, he's like huge and he doesn't miss dunks, but that's not really what they needed. I mean, yeah, I thought they had a chance to get a real, like another wing or some kind of forward. Cause that's the real that's hole they have. Desmond Bain was still there. Yeah. Desmond it's not even Bain. Like they could have had an opportunity to get, I'm, I'm trying to think of somebody who's like six foot seven, six foot eight, like Xavier Tillman. Ex exactly. You Pro can get Xavier Tillman. Maybe it's not perfect spacing wise, but like if you have somebody who can try and defend LeBron or try and defend, which so probably not Xavier, but I mean, he could, but you, you get what I'm saying. There were guys, there were like wing projects who they could have taken shots on who were athletic who would have made sense. And that's like the only hole that I really am concerned about with them. They don't have anyone who I trust to defend Kawhi or PG or LeBron uh, mano a mano. And I mean, there are very few guys in the league who can do that, but it's not even about having like a, a guy who can shut you down. It's like, uh, if you have Dorian Finney-Smith, who, you who, who you can put on somebody for, for a series that at least gives you a body who makes shots tougher instead of, uh, like I always say this about Royce O'Neal because he's one of my favorite role players in the league. Like if, if Royce O'Neal was six foot seven or six foot eight, he'd be a, a damn near max player because he's so good at what he does. He's an awesome defender, but he's like six foot five in shoes. So 
mm-hmm. it's really tough for him to defend somebody like LeBron or Kawhi an entire game. And he still does a really good job with it. But I, I think there's still kind of maybe a guy short like that. Maybe they have a chance to make a move. But um, sorry, I keep going on and on and on. I just love the jazz. But Jordan Clarkson has been awesome too. I mean, he's like – He's not just empty calories off the bench. Like he does a lot of legit things for them. Mike Conley has obviously been awesome. Um, I love the jazz. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case. Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com, designed for work. Sean, as some like as a Philly fan yourself, what do you how kind of how from a Sixers viewpoint would you view the Jazz? Let's like let's say we get down to the conference finals. It's we'll say the Sixers and the Nets on one side and the Jazz and the Lakers on the other. Like do you do you go into a Sixers Jazz matchup feeling pretty confident that the Sixers could take them? The Jazz are interesting because Gobert would be one of the handful of guys in the league that I really think could contain Joel. And and I'm sure Joel would still get his, but you know, not many people have seven footers that are strong and agile enough to defend Embiid at a the level you would need to in a, in a playoff series. So while I think the Sixers are probably a slightly better team than Utah, I, I I wouldn't feel like overly confident about it by any stretch of the imagination. And even, even a better team like LA, I feel like Embiid would just, we saw it last night. He would just eat, eat that front court up like Anthony Davis guarding Embiid. I'm not scared of at all. So I think the Jazz are just a uniquely bad matchup for the Sixers in that sense, that they have one of those, those few guys on, in the world, really, that can even slow down and beat it all. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a good team. Like Mark mentioned, I would kind of agree that they have kind of a conference final ceiling, similar to what Denver did last year. Like we saw, we saw that playoff series between Utah and Denver last year. That could have went either way. I mean, those were mm-hmm. epic games that went down the wire every time. So I, I think it could have easily been the Jazz that, you know, and eventually went into the conference finals and, and pushed LA like Denver did. So yeah, they, they have that ceiling. They, they have a handful of really smart playmakers. Um, you know, you have a guy like Joe Ingles that he's like your tertiary ball handler and he's a really, intelligent player and he can you know space the floor at an elite level so that's that's wonderful to have conley was a guy that everyone just kind of forgot about last year because i don't know specifically what was going on but he was in whatever funk he was in and but he's a guy that you know should could have made all-star teams the west was loaded obviously while he was in his prime but you know he was an all-star caliber player and then uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell's taking that leap, and he's one of the probably like ten best guards in the league. Which, and he's still getting better. He's still young. He's still learning his craft and and getting those little refined nuances to elite playmaking that you do once you have a few years under your belt. So, you know, those those three, and then Jordan Clarkson suddenly going from like a 
microwave type shooter that could shoot you out of it some night and get hot others. He's like been consistently almost 50% from the field every night. Like it's just an incredible run for him as a six man. So, and then you have Gobert who just does everything they need defensively. So yeah, they're a really good team. I mean, no one's going to look at the jazz in the playoffs and say like, Oh, this isn't going to be a war. Like they're disciplined. They have, shooters at nearly every position except for Gobert who you know does his rim running and defensive stuff that they need him to do and can't forget the screen assist either exactly they they won't let you forget so I I thought we outlawed that like as an NBA society dude I wish also I will just point out Demonis bonus led the league in screen assist so we go better last year so 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 you should be hyping the stat up no I don't want to hype the stat up I will not hype the stat up Mark is a man of principle I am a man of principle (laughs) all right I respect that Imagine if the Jazz somehow, some way made the NBA Finals only to get matched up against the Nets and James Harden once again. Oh, God. Nemesis. Like, you, like, I would lose it if I was a Utah fan. Like, you have finally, after all these years, the one guy who, like, gave your franchise more trouble than anyone else, who even if, like, those five-game series were closer than people remember, especially the second one, just still, like... And also, Rudy really did not get played off the court. I'm so sick of that narrative. Oh, there was yeah. like one game where he, he really struggled, but outside of that, I mean, he had, he had more problem with the Warriors, and that was because Steph is freaking incredible. Like, that yeah. was basically it. Um, no, yeah, and like you said, Sean, not being maybe super scared of, of like the Jazz, but and like just talking about the Jazz and Lakers in general, because the Sixers, like, it's one of these weird things where we don't feel as scared about the Sixers going up against these teams now. Um, if they go up against the Lakers, obviously scared of LeBron because he's LeBron. Against the Jazz, I'd actually be terrified of watching Jordan Clarkson because small guards who can shoot off the dribble and are pretty quick have forever given the Sixers issues. Like you said, Dennis Schroeder last night torched Danny Green. Like I could totally see Jordan Clarkson just absolutely tearing the Sixers apart in a game, and I'd be so frustrated by it. Um, but – I want to pivot to another Western Conference team here, one that isn't doing as well as the Jazz, but has had surprising success so far. And you didn't list them in your teams you really like to watch, Mark. I mean, obviously, if you couldn't tell from listening to this conversation so far, Mark loves to watch him some basketball. I do love to watch me some basketball. (laughs) The Spurs are up to sixth in the Western Conference. You, like when I polled everyone for my – the season just started NBA awards. You were adamant that Keldon Johnson was your most improved player after the first two weeks. Just go, Mark. Talk about the Spurs. I know you want Okay, to. so actually, now that I think about it, the Spurs would be up in my top five as well because yeah, I, 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 I watched them a lot. Um, I'm a Rudy Gay truther. I always have been. Um, he was my Jeff Green. Um, no, I this Spurs team is good. I mean, did you watch the game against Boston last night? I did not catch it, unfortunately. Well, they were. It's 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 really interesting because a one thing that sucks is that Lamarcus Aldridge has just kind of fallen off a cliff. Oh, um, it's, so there like, was. It's been, I saw something on Twitter. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to. Oh, you're good. This. It was. I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was three screenshots of an opposing player shooting a three. Lamarcus. I think it was Noah Magaro. I think is his name. I think yeah. I want to say he writes at pounding the rock. Yeah, I think I, you might be right, but Lamarcus is basically jumping to contest it from like twelve feet away, like not even close. It's like, like my half-ass two K contest that I do after <laughs> I, my my game glitches out and online. Like, yeah, it was rough. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't. I personally don't think that they're going to end up in the playoffs. I mean, it's possible. I mean, we're seeing some teams really. Uh, I don't want to say fall out right now, but there are some teams that are struggling. Like Phoenix, who started off red hot, they have been. 
Um, they've been struggling with injuries and, and health and safety protocols, which is still so weird to talk about um, in the last couple of weeks. But I mean, the Spurs are legit solid. Like Kellen Johnson has cooled off a little bit in, in his outside shooting. Um, still just ridiculously good at getting to the rim. He's so strong. Uh, I, I just think they have like the most fun group of young players. And I saw somewhere Derek White is expected to come back this weekend. He's only played one game for like 25 minutes. It's not like he even was able to do that much. Um, I mean, Patty Mills just continues to be ridiculously good. He's like having like a career year, even though he's 32. Um, Monty Walker is actually shooting well now. His defense is still like a work in progress, but they're just, they're really athletic. Um, they're well coached and all the guys are making strides. But I think the guy I've been most impressed with, like Kelvin's been really good. And I still, um, maybe I'm less on the MIP train because uh, he's a second year player. So of course, you know, he's supposed to make strides, but I think his strides have been pretty, pretty monumental. But um, DeJounte Murray has been most impressive to me. I mean, you look at him, he's only averaging 29% from three, but I mean, he's really upped his volume. He's taking stuff off the dribble. And most importantly, I mean, he can he's turning into a solid passer and facilitator after really um, being a lot more of a combo guard coming into the league. Um, he's always been a really ferocious like rim attacker. Like I, I'd have to pull some clips of that, too, from last year. I remember doing a deep dive on him and I don't think I'd ever seen anybody who would just jump into three guys and throw the ball up as often as he does. Well, now Kelvin does it too. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Kelvin is based, it's a role reversal. Kelvin, Kelvin's doing what he did, except he has like what, like 60 extra pounds on him. So there's that. Um, but no, I mean, he's been, he's been good this year. He's shooting like 66% at the rim. Um, he just seems a lot more in control of the offense. I know Pops talked about that after games. Uh, I really like the Spurs team. I don't know what they are and they still have, they almost have, you can never have too many good young players, but uh, I mean, Devin Vassell too, his defense has been fun. He had like this really awesome random help side block on Rudy Gobert. That was just like a uh, testament of the kind of player he is moving forward. Like he's already one of the better nail defenders in the league, which is kind of crazy to say about somebody who I think he only played two years at Florida state. If he played two years, yeah, it was two years. And- yeah. No, and, you're um, of the cell, like, oh my, I just remember watching him at Florida State, and I thought this guy's gonna like kill himself how hard <laughs> he was working on the defensive end. He would fly everywhere, always head on a turn, and just like there was like some plays the balls would be bouncing out of bounds, and he just he'll go absolutely flying trying to save it. That dude, it's like so hard to tell. And I think someone pointed out, like, he's not shooting that well right now, and he was a pretty good shooter his last year in college, so. Once that turns around and it's like, well, there's your prototypical three and D wing who's awesome for winning basketball because he's yeah. right there. And no, yeah, I like I don't think the Spurs will stay at six where they are right now, but I I'd bet on them making the plan. Yeah, no, I would say they definitely can make the plan, especially considering how bad New Orleans has been. Oh. Um, I would say they have a they have a very solid chance of making the plan. And the last thing I would say on them too, um, I'm interested to see how things work out with the uh, you know, I, I don't know what teams would be interested in even getting LaMarcus because I thought that was a potential thing over the summer because he was really good last year, obviously. And I thought he was fine in the bubble too. But I mean, Jakob Pertl is, is you could make the argument that he's better than LaMarcus right now. I, no, I think he, he's he more impactful. Um, Impact yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try telling that to most people because I mean, they'll just they'll <laughs> the box scores, but he, he has legitimately been better than LaMarcus this year, which um, I've never been somebody who's like down on LaMarcus. I always have enjoyed guys like him who maybe the efficiency isn't great, but I mean, he was good. He was really good. I think he's a Hall of Fame player. 
um, as controversial as that might sound to some people. But um, long story short, Spurs are really, really fun to watch, and they're actually pretty good. And if you don't watch them, I implore you to do so. You know, Mark, saying you're a Rudy Gay truther right there, I think me and Sean need to talk about a guy who we have kind of been a truther then, but even us who have mentioned him on way too many pods could not have seen this coming. We, we know Tobias Harris might be an all-star. Jeremy Grant, the captain of, the, of our should have been a sixer or still been a sixer <laughs> segment, might be an all-star himself probably the bright only bright spot for the Pistons so far this year. You know, there's been some good moments with Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart, some of their rookies. Uh, Mason Plumley's at least comedic gold when he's on the court. <laughs> yeah. Certainly not whatever's happened to Blake Griffin, which is honestly just hard to watch sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Sean, We're going to get a second-round pick for Wayne Ellington at the deadline, so that's He's good. been insane. Wayne You've Ellington, oh, what? my God. 52% from three right now and almost seven a game. Until he's own. It was just that was brutal to watch that second game, just knowing what was going to happen. But uh, yeah, Sean, like as someone who watched Jeremy Grant has several described shoot, basically like he could barely see the basket back when he was in Philly. What's it like to now see Jeremy Grant not only knock down three point shooter, but pick and roll initiator, Jeremy? (laughs) It's like somebody like body swapped and came into Jeremy Grant's body because he's just a completely different player. I I remember back when, you know, he was a young sixer and everyone said, well, he's his defensive upside is tremendous. All we have to do is just get him to hit like 30% of his threes and just do nothing but hit catch and shoot threes at a below average clip. And that would be fine because he has such a potential on the defensive end. And suddenly, not only can he shoot, he could shoot at a high level, and he could do literally everything else on offense. It's it's incredible. And, you know, Allah on the on the broadcast kept saying it, and I'll just repeat it. Like, you have to give all the credit in the world to this guy. Like, he put in a tremendous amount of work over the past few years. And to be the type of facilitator and shot creator and playmaker that he is now, I mean, wow. He's, he, he doesn't look like the same player. Like, you never would have thought this would have been Jeremy Grant's potential ceiling even. Yeah. I, I definitely like you, Sean, never thought I was upset when they traded Jeremy Grant way back when, cause I thought he was pretty good. Thought they could still use him and it was good to have him going forward. He was on a great contract at the time. It was still fun to see him develop as one of the few bright spots. And I, I guess I shouldn't say few, but in a period of Oklahoma city basketball, post Durant and solely on West Westbrook then with Paul George added Jeremy Grant's development was one of the more fun things for them I think but man like he he does this thing now where he'll he loves to go in between the legs right to left and a little skip to just kind of like set guys up and then he's so long that he'll just like if you just like hesitate or make one wrong step guarding him then he's just extending to the basket because it's just one of those constant reminders. And I always tell this to myself, just height really freaking matters sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Jeremy is that tall, has that long arms, and now has like the basketball skill level to dribble, shoot, shoot off the dribble and look for passing lanes. It's like, well, yeah, it's just really hard to stop when you have a guy who's this big who like can competently do all these things. And lo and behold, he's a 
he, I mean, he's the primary guy for a team that's very bad right now in the Pistons. I believe only four wins on the season, one of them against the Embiid-less Sixers, who might be the worst team. Of all. I mean, not the worst. Team of all. When, when the Embiid isn't playing, the Sixers are going to lose. We already said Especially it. if they're uh, if they're away. Oh, my gosh, yes. Like, how, how the Sixers' home, home and road splits, like, not as dramatic as last year, but are still, like, not too far apart is incredible. Just mm-hmm. – Clearly, there's something about the Wells Fargo Center. But, uh, yeah, like, Mark, obviously you watch probably a ton of the Pistons because you've watched a ton of every team. How do you, what do you think about Jeremy Grant? So, uh, I actually just wrote an article about Jeremy Grant probably two or three weeks ago. Yeah, um, I remember that. And he is just, like, some of the stats that I was able to kind of find out about him are ridiculous. I mean, you look back, I think it was his second year with the Process Sixers. He was playing less minutes than Hollis Thompson. Like, and, and now he's averaging 24 points per game on, you know, plus 2% above league average true shooting. And I actually would posit, like, in, in watching the Pistons, I don't think they're that bad. I think they've only had one loss that was by double digits. Like, they've been in every single game. They're not a good team, but they're not. Like, I, I, I put this on Twitter partially joking to, uh, to Lazarus Jackson over Detroit Bad Boys, but, like, I think they're the – they're either the worst best team in the NBA or the best worst team. Uh, wh- however you would categorize that. Like they, they, they are, they're better than the Timberwolves. Yes, that <laughs> is, that is for damn sure. But I mean, the crazy thing with me about Jeremy Grant, like I remember, like you mentioned, like when he became a legit starter in Oklahoma city, I remember being like amazed. I was like, wow, this is so much more than I thought it was going to be. Obviously. I mean, a second round pick um, who could not shoot anything uh, coming out of Syracuse. And then, now he's like legitimately taking off the dribble threes and hitting them at a competent rate. And the handle is just like, where did this come from? Right. You know, I, I uh, it's been really cool to see him bet on himself. Cause I know he was the butt of a lot of jokes and uh, to anybody who hasn't read James Edwards, the third story uh, on Jeremy Grant and why he decided to go to Detroit. Uh, he writes for the athletic. That was a tremendous piece. I think it's probably the best piece that's been written in like the last five or six months. I'll definitely go check that out. No, yeah, I, I love all of the stuff James writes for the Pistons. Mm-hmm. I remember it was sometime during during the last season when the Pistons were clearly in tank mode. He was like breaking down things to be optimistic about, like the young players. And I remember, mm-hmm. I think it was Kyrie Thomas was playing for them some last year, and he had like in depth yeah. stuff on him. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, Jeremy Grant's just, you know, Sean, do we count that as a win for the Sixers? At least a a win for the process, right? Jeremy? Oh yeah. And and uh, Christian Wood also a win for the process. Ishmith, Ishmith being yeah, Rashawn Holmes in a big way. Ishmith being a confident backup. Like TJ, TJ has been averaging like seven assists and he's been two good. steals a game over yeah. the past two weeks. Like he's he's still doing his thing. I, I think if you compiled the the process roster, like you still you'd have a pretty good team. You could fill up enough guys to to make an entire other league, man. I uh, that's one of my favorite YouTube videos I've ever found. I can't remember the guy's name, but somebody made a video um, set to uh, that one Green Day song. That's really sad, um, but it's Wake like a happy set. No, uh, not waking up when September ends. It's uh, it starts with like a really not, yeah, good riddance. It's the one that starts with a crappy guitar riff, and it's yeah. uh, it's like a three and a half minute montage of like eighty percent of the players who. F- who who were in the process and it's just amazing i'll have to send it to you guys after this but it's one of my favorite videos yeah i don't know if you know this but the the rights to ricky sanchez podcast here in philly 
like prominently uh, has a t-shirt with every name of the process on it every it, name oh wow, every name yeah it, it fills the entire back of the t-shirt it's i, I forget exactly awesome. how it's like 70 names or something oh it's and, gotta be close yeah it's like, it's, it's like the browns qb jersey but oh back. yeah that's uh <laughs> growing up in cleveland that is a that is a real thing that is a very real thing <laughs> well we've well, talked a, a, just a crap ton about basketball as a whole um Probably should mention that the Sixers and Pacers, the two teams we mainly cover, are playing this Sunday. The Sixers play the Timberwolves on Friday. Um, my scouting report for that is if Joel Embiid plays, they will win. That's probably yeah, not it, scouting report. It's looking like a DMP back, probably. So, If not, I don't know if you want to watch because, oh boy, like it was Joe Holbert for Canis Hoopus wrote a big piece breaking down of just everything that's wrong with the Timberwolves offense. Obviously, no Carl Anthony Towns currently out with a positive COVID test. Please feel better. Hopefully, feel better, Carl. Like, we're all rooting for you, man. Mm-hmm. It's just, you've been through so much. Um, but, uh, like, the Timberwolves just – it was such a creative piece because basically I'm saying, like, how s- these advanced stats and stats we all value can lie to you. Maybe not necessarily that, but basically, like, the Timberwolves have uh, an effective – kind of shot diet if you just look at the numbers that they shoot a lot at the rim they shoot a lot of threes but then you watch them play and it's like well they kind of just force feed those to their players like d'angelo russell just pulling up for threes out of nothing with a contested hand in his face kind of just getting all the way to the rim even not finishing well at all and basically just how there's really no identity to their offense at all and just kind of you the only times you can probably rely on not having an identity is when you have a crap ton of talent. Like, not exactly what I would say, like, no identity, but, like, the Clippers last year, I think that was the big – one of the big complaints we had a lot about them was just, like, it felt like the offense kind of stagnated into nothing. of just, like, Kawhi, Paul George, and another player isolating at times. But because they're Kawhi and Paul George and all those other talented players the Clippers have, it, it still works out pretty well. Whereas the Timberwolves, it's like – yeah, asking Josh Okogie to take his man randomly at with eight seconds left on the shot clock. You're not going to play that well if you're going to do that. So it should be the Sixer, game the Sixers win, barring, I don't know, what, whatever you could throw at us in this COVID season. And then Sunday, the Sixers take on the Pacers. Mark, how are you feeling going into this game? Um, not, I don't want to say, like, bad or anything, but I, I would – bet money on the uh i mean if if somebody had to put a gun to my head ask who i think is going to win i think it'll be the sixers it's just a really tough matchup for indy um you know i think with how well joel's played i think if joel hadn't missed any games he'd probably be my mvp front runner right now um he's just been that good would you put someone in front of him right now like would you vote for Jokic over Embiid? i mean denver has actually been good enough um finally they've really wrought the ship and i think i mean Jokic has been so good this year um i don't see this this one's tough i would have to dive into it more i mean i think really close it is really close like i think right now yeah i think they would be like neck and neck for it for me i I don't think i could make a distinct decision right now and if you had to lean one way you'd probably say philly because of how i mean they they they, they've only lost one game that you all played if i remember correctly it was it was two, but one was two. against the Hawks, where um. Oh, so it doesn't count. Basically, the red. Basically, like that was another game where it was Joel, a couple of other guys who were playing the rotation, and then it was the COVID depleted roster. Yeah, so that that's 
first of all, there were so many that uh, that game against Denver should not have happened. That I, I was vehemently mad that that happened. But we did get the Tyrese Maxey thirty. We did get the Tyrese Maxey meme. So, you know this this is a thing that being a fan during the process era teaches you. Like you get mad about these all these things. You're like, but Tobias Harris at thir- not Tobias Harris Tyrese Maxey at thirty nine points. Isaiah Joe is hitting threes and playing decent defense. Dakota Mathias at a game winner versus the Miami Heat. Like you get to cherish all of these things. It's the Tony Roten triple double of our of our time. The Isaiah Cannon four point play. Yes, exactly. The, the, those the, those are the games you really remember. Did Did you read that piece that I think it was Andrew Unterberger for uh, Rights to Ricky Sanchez had where, where he ranked the ten best Sixers losses? A lot of them <laughs> from the process era and like. Because that Isaiah Cannon four-point play is also the one where the 10 and 72 Sixers almost beat the 73 and 9 Warriors, if not for a Harrison Barnes three. Harrison Barnes. Forgot about that game, man. Forever a Philadelphia villain because of that. Forever. <laughs> Harry wow. B. I just remember seeing some of the scores like on the uh on the ESPN ticker. Uh oh. when you're like, you know, at night when I was in in uh gosh, I've been in high school then. Um and seeing some of the scores against the process Sixers, and man, it was rough. And like one of the most mind blowing stats to me is that Tony Roten didn't even play 150 NBA games. Like Tony Roten was one of my like Tony Roten, the the 2K god man. He was so good in 2K. It was 2K 15, right? I think it was 2K 15. He was just like absurd in, or it might have been 2K 14. Um, I can't remember which one, but he was just like it didn't matter that he couldn't shoot because every single uh, dribble move you did was just earth shattering because he was six six and totally broke the game but yeah a lot of fun process sixers memories he broke the game in real life too <laughs> apparently <laughs> yeah no my, me and my friend uh, on twitter mavs drafts richard Stevens is name but at mavs draft great account um we we shared screenshots several times of um the famous sixers mavs game i think it was it was either the opening game of the 2015 season or like a game in the first week very early on and the Sixers, like early third quarter, there's a screenshot. The score is like 26 to 79 Mavericks. Just absolute annihilation. And it's just unbelievable that all those games actually happened. This is a thing that went on the city for four years. But you know, for anyone who questions like the Sixers, like if they are violating the integrity of the game, look at what they have now. This best team in the Eastern Conference, MVP front runner Joel Embiid. All-star Tobias Harris, maybe another all-star appearance for Ben Simmons. I mean, you know, they're like – like, Mark, as someone who's watched the Pacers a lot, I know you said you don't view it as much as a fan, but, like, do you think – do you think Pacers fans – I know it's very different because Indiana's a different kind of market. It's a place mm-hmm. where, like, we get fed this, the narrative a lot that the Pacers just want to keep winning, keep being solid, keep being respected because it keeps fans interested. But a team that's – ever since the 2014 season has not made it out of the first round of the playoffs. Do you think they would be, would have been better off maybe taking a Sixers like approach of you have to get really bad, but eventually you get out of this. It's a good question. Um, I think you look at the, uh, I mean, it's, it's so tough with them too. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I was a fan of the Pacers. That's why I cover them now. Um, I think things have just changed since I started, you know, covering stuff and trying to be uh, more objective with it. Like, the 13, 14, and 12, 13 paces are why I love basketball. You know, those teams were incredible. They're so fun. Um, I never thought they were going to win the title, but they they came damn close to, to knocking off LeBron James and going to the title. 
Um, you know, I think you look at 14, 15, like I, I always forget about this uh, because I kind of bl- blacked it out of my mind a little bit because the 14, 15 Pacers years were like one of the worst in history, um, just in terms of like morality standpoint. I mean, you come off that team that was so good, obviously faltered in the Eastern Conference Finals, but you bring back the majority of the team. Um, Paul George is supposed to be another year better. Um, and LeBron is not in Miami anymore. He's going to Cleveland with a team that I frankly thought, I mean, I, I think we'd all agree that 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 Cleveland team was not nearly as good as as the Miami team in 2014. Um, so, I mean, you could have viewed that, that Pacers Love, team. You're saying Kevin Love is not the equivalent of Chris Bosh? He is not. <laughs> I will, I, I'll go to bed. As good as Kevin Love was, yeah, Chris Bosh was better, man. Chris Bosh was so good. And he was like, he was good defensively too. He wasn't awesome, but Bosch I thought. Defensive, like, he could just switch whenever. It's like. Yeah, oh, yeah. like he, he was like, yeah, he was good. Like that, that Heat team was just so good. And I just look at that Pacers team. I mean, if you, theoretically, you come back in 14-15 and maybe that team, if Roy figures out how to play basketball again, which that is a big if, because um, he was, I, I mean, his confidence was just like eradicated in 2013-14. Obviously, the uh, the weak stretch of basketball where he just put up 0-0-0 um, against the Atlanta Hawks in the playoffs was just, uh, I'll, I'll never forget seeing that happen live. That was uh, that was something. Um but I mean, you could squint and say, okay, 14, 15, the Pacers are, you know, they're poised to come out of the East if they're able to beat LeBron. Um, and, you know, seeing where that team, not, not to say, you know, the Atlanta Hawks team from 14, 15 is one of my favorite teams of all time, but like the state of the conference at that point was not good. Like that was, that was not a, a bright time in uh, in Eastern conference basketball. So you could definitely say the Pacers would get out. And then Paul George breaks his leg that summer. Um, I think that's the year I look at them and I would have been like, yeah, there were, instead of making some of the moves they did, they definitely could have said, okay, we're going to, um, you know, just pack it in this year, play some of our starters a lot less um, and, and maybe go for it um, for a higher draft pick to help us in the, in the coming years. But uh, that's not what the, it's not what the market does. Like you mentioned, like uh, even in the Karis LeVert trade, I mean, you could look at that. I think a lot of teams would see somebody like Victor Oladipo set to leave the franchise, uh, trade him away, and you try and get draft assets. Um, uh, and obviously, the team brings back Harris LeVert, which, thank God, they did. Um, that worked out incredibly well for him. Um, but I think you look at it, and that 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 was an opportunity. You know, I, I remember having conversations about this. You know, if, if the team breaks up um, or if you do send Victor out, do you do you break up? the rest of the team do you keep domas or do you keep miles and you just uh try and get draft picks and, and see what happens and that's just not what this team's going to do and kevin Pritchard talked about in his press conference um when the trade for karis happened he was like you know i'm uh we're here to to build something consistent and uh we want to win now and we want to win long term and we think that if we keep developing this group of players we have now then we can be really something over the next couple of years and i think that's their view you know i'd I, I, I don't fault it. Um, and I don't really fault what the Sixers did either. Um, you know, I, I think it made sense for the Sixers as much as I loved watching Thad Young and, and Drew Holiday um, beat up on the freaking Celtics in that first round and, and go to the second round. That was like, I, I can never speak enough about how much I love Thad Young. Thad Young's one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, process legend, almost process legend, but uh 
he was yeah. he was my favorite sixer for he was half so decade. fun man I he was that. like if he came into the league five years later would have been perfect for him because he was just like in such a weird spot because he has no handle obviously um not a good passer at all but like he's just so smart and he's he yeah. if he had played in uh if he played in brooklyn well, okay if he played in good brooklyn or he played in like one of the LA teams. He would have made a couple all defense teams with how well he played in Indiana. But yeah, he know. was in the league when it was viewed, still viewed as bad being to a be a tweener. tweener. A tweener was a bad thing, and then a few years later, it's suddenly the best thing you can be. Exactly. And he just he just missed his window by about four or five years. My yeah. one bad young thing that I can add to this the discussion is that so the Sixers twenty twelve playoff upset over the bulls i was at game six the clinching game and because my dad for some reason loves to get to every game like two and a half hours early <laughs> we're there but because we're there that someone one of the sixer staffers said we could be like fans of the game so i got to be on the court for like most of the pregame stuff and i actually got to hand the ball like to some to, i think it was vucevic took it out of my hands as he came on the court young nikola vucevic but i remember the thing my dad kept pointing out to me too Thad Young is like taller than what he lists himself as. Cause back then they were listening at like six, seven, six, eight. And he is, mm -hmm. he is a tall dude. And you just start to realize that like, it's so weird. All these guys heights, like, you know, it gets talked about all the time, but like so, a lot of seven footers will be like the most famous example. Kevin Durant is yep. lists himself at six, eight, six, nine, that dude is seven feet tall or Kemba Walker, I think would list himself at six, one. He's probably like five eleven. like, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, Mark, we have kept you on for a long time. It's been great talking to you. Uh, tell the people, good people listening to the show where they can follow you at and where they can find all your work. Yeah, so you can find me um, on Twitter at MschindlerNBA. Uh, you can find any of my work at Indy Cornrows um, or on PremiumHoops.org. I have uh, I host a podcast over Premium Hoops. I edit all the pieces that go out there. Um, and, and write a lot of stuff there as well. I write quite a bit in the cornrows. I just do a lot of stuff from basketball. So yeah, you can find me. Twitter is definitely the best place to find me. I think I conglomerate all my stuff there the most. But uh, thank you guys a ton for having me. This was fun. Oh no, Mark, it was great talking to you. And seriously, people, if you're listening to our show, you have to go follow Mark and read all of this stuff. It is, Mark watches so much basketball and knows so much about the game. The premium hoop site is one that just, I'm so glad they made it because I love reading all it all kinds of great stuff there and any cornrows one of the more underrated sb nation like team sites like your work i love and whenever i read caitlin cooper's stuff, her stuff is like, so good man. oh i i feel dumb after i read it because i'm like exactly. she is so exactly. smart like geez what i didn't even notice stuff like that like how does she see that so yeah no it's uh, every time that uh i mean because you know writing at liberty ballers like if you pull up in the the writing dashboard you can see what what other stuff people are working on Anytime I go in to start writing something, I see that Caitlin's working on something. I'm like, oh shit, like I gotta make this even better, right? Like, um, no, she's ridiculously smart, like one of the best writers I know and best basketball minds out there mm -hmm. for sure. All right. So yeah, again, M Schindler NBA on Twitter, premium hoops, indie cornrows. Mark, thank you so much for talking to us. Sean, it was a great week in Sixers basketball and an incredible win over the Lakers last night. And I will talk to you next week. That's right. Uh, hopefully, Joel Embiid's back is okay after that dirty shove from LeBron, which we didn't really talk oh, about. I can't believe we didn't talk about that. Yeah. Like... <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, yeah. Otherwise, everything everything good in Sixers basketball world. Um, we are a positive podcast. We we are now and always have been a positive podcast. So 
yeah, we'll we'll talk to everybody next week. Last quick take, rookie Joel, who was lighter, would have got off the floor quicker and absolutely posterized LeBron. (laughs) (laughs) You can only hope, man. Yeah, it's uh, that – I was watching the Lakers broadcast uh, on my replay, and they were, like, arguing that it wasn't a flagrant. Like, I don't know who the one guy is because I never watched the Lakers broadcast. Um, I I don't, like, have anything against him. I don't mind Mike Trudell as a sideline reporter, but, like, I I don't know who the one guy is. But he was like, oh, yeah, I mean, back in my day when I was playing, I'm like, oh, God, I just want to hear this guy shut the fuck up. But, yeah, no, that was a – it was a good game. Um, One last thing on Thad. Sorry, I had to cut myself off because I was going to keep going and going. But on Thad – like, especially speaking on, like, just tweenerism, like, he has one of the weirdest, like, career trajectories ever. Like, you watch him. So, in that um, – where is it? Well, I'm pulling up his shooting numbers right now because I have them up. Um, you look at – wait, where the fuck did I just – damn it. <laughs> it's in – This pot has gone off the rails. I know, right? <laughs> okay, so you have him in 09-10. He shoots 138 threes and shoots almost 35%. And then he shoots a combined 43s in the next three seasons. And then he shoots almost 313-14. And it's like his his career is just so funky, man. Like it I love like it. Pre- I love it. Sounds like man. a premium hoops article idea. It's uh it's something I've toggled with. Um I'm debating now that I'm uh kind of in between stuff right now, I might write something on Rudy, uh Rudy Gay and because uh, he is one of the on-off gods currently, uh, mostly due to little Marcus Aldridge, but also because he is fantastic. Um, but just write some really long form on uh, on the Spurs and see if I can. I might reach out to the Spurs uh, PR to see if I can talk to him. But it's uh, we'll see on that. But I, I've definitely thought about writing on that because he's been really good in Chicago too. So it's helped my fantasy team. So Mark Schindler, everybody, great to have you on. Sean, I'll talk to you next week. Go Sixers. That was a flagrant foul. All right. See you guys. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work.